Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, a well-known U.S.-based agricultural meteorologist says the location and strength of an expected high-pressure ridge this summer will determine which portions of the prairies receive above-normal precipitation. That was one of the takeaway points during a one-hour webinar featuring Drew Lerner with World Weather, Inc. We'll have many of his comments coming up on today's program. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were moving upward in the province during the past week. Jace Fossen with the Saskatchewan Livestock Branch will join us on that. And CN Rail has outlined their procedures when it comes to car ordering and data reporting. We'll hear from the Assistant Vice President of Grain, David Shednovic. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. A well-known U.S.-based agricultural meteorologist says the location and strength of an expected high-pressure ridge this summer will determine which portions of the prairies receive above-normal precipitation. That was one of the takeaway points during a one-hour webinar yesterday featuring Drew Lerner with World Weather, Inc. Lerner says after three years, La Nina has ended and is being replaced by a more neutral phase. El Nino will make its return either this fall or early winter. He believes that after a couple of years of optimum harvest conditions, many areas will likely have more unsettled weather during combining this year. Snowfall over the eastern prairies and along the U.S. border should take the edge off of last fall's dry topsoil conditions heading into spring. The lone exception is the Palliser Triangle covering southwestern Saskatchewan and southeastern Alberta, which did not get a lot of snow, and Lerner says the trend will continue into the spring. The western areas may not get much moisture in the April-May time period. There'll be a little bit, but not a lot. And so that area is going to have much more of a drier tendency. Now, field work will go quickly in May across the southwestern part of the prairies because of the lower levels of moisture that are around. As for the eastern prairies? I think you're going to see the precipitation increase across parts of Manitoba and also in Saskatchewan, mostly the central and eastern parts of Saskatchewan in April. It's not going to be a real big soaking, but it should be sufficient in raising the topsoil moisture along with the melting snow that we've had by then and set the stage for a relatively good start to the planting season. 
Moving into the summer period of June and July, Lerner is predicting a band of above-normal precipitation across Saskatchewan. The unknown at this point is where it will be located. The most important factor will be the PDO, or the Pacific Decodal Oscillation. PDO is a robust recurring pattern of ocean-atmosphere climate variability centered over the mid-latitude Pacific Basin. Right now, Lerner is forecasting the wet summer bias will be south of the Trans-Canada Highway, but it could shift further north depending on the PDO. If we get a stronger PDO, then the ridge amplitude on each of these charts will become enhanced and the rainy pattern in the southern prairies that we've identified here would get shoved farther to the north. So it would be more like uh, coming into the southeast corner of Alberta, passing through Lake Diefenbaker and headed over towards, oh, maybe Yorkton, Kenora, Kamsack areas, and on into maybe northern parts of Manitoba. The ridge amplitude is going to be everything about our summer. And so I'm going to give you a forecast, but you've got to keep in mind that that forecast is going to be dependent on the, the ridge of high pressure. And that if you're a subscriber and you're reading our stuff, you're going to be waiting for me to tell you where that wet biased area is going to be because it's likely to change from what you're about to see. Other areas of Saskatchewan can expect near normal precipitation this summer, except for the northern grain belt. The Prince Albert, Meadow Lake and Lloydminster areas are in the below normal category, which also extends into Alberta. Drew Lerner also took a few questions from producers on yesterday's webinar. We'll have some of that coming up a little later in the program. But first, it's time for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. The Manitoba government is expecting flooding along the Red River south of Winnipeg this year, although not enough to overcome community dikes and diversions. The province's March outlook says the flood risk is low or moderate along many rivers, including the Assiniboine, Pembina, Rosso and Surus. But the Red River is at risk because of heavy snowfall upstream in North Dakota. The Manitoba Hydrologic Forecast Centre says it's likely that the Red River floodway, which diverts rising water around Winnipeg, will be operated this spring. The Portage Diversion near Portage La Prairie is also expected to be used. The province says the potential for flooding could change depending on weather conditions between now and the spring melt. The United States pushed back on Russian demands that Western sanctions be eased before it allows Ukrainian Black Sea grain exports beyond mid-May, saying there were no restrictions on Russian agricultural products or fertilizer. Moscow's demands include allowing the Russian Agricultural Bank to return to the SWIFT banking system and unblocking the accounts and financial activities of Russian fertilizer companies. The deal allowing the safe wartime export of Ukrainian grain from its Black Sea ports, initially brokered last July by Turkey and the United Nations, was renewed on Saturday for at least 60 days, half the intended period. The aim of last July's deal was to combat a global food crisis fueled in part by Russia's February 2022 invasion of Ukraine and Black Sea blockade. 
Before the war, Ukraine was the world's fourth largest corn exporter and fifth biggest wheat seller, a main supplier to poor countries in Africa and the Middle East. Russia is a top exporter of fertilizer. World trade in chickpeas and lentils is expected to remain relatively steady in 2023, with solid demand from South Asia underpinning markets, according to the latest outlook from the International Grains Council. The IGC sees the world trade in chickpeas in 2023 at about 1.9 million metric tons, which would be unchanged from 2022, with world lentil movement also relatively steady on the year at around 4 million metric tons. Total world pulse trade in 2023 is seen rising by 2% to 17.4 million metric tons, largely due to firmer demand for dry peas. Canada is a major exporter of all three crops, with pea exports from licensed facilities through the first 32 weeks of the 2022-23 marketing year, running 62% ahead of the previous year's pace, according to Canadian Grain Commission data. Indonesia, the world's largest producer of palm oil, is forecast to see a 3% rise in production in 2023-24, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Foreign Agricultural Service post in Jakarta. The country's USDA post anticipates 46 million metric tons of palm oil production, which would be up from 44.7 during the current marketing year. The estimate assumes no significant weather events through the remainder of 2022-23. However, a developing El Nino weather pattern for the second half of 2023 could lead to dryness in Indonesia, which would hamper fruit setting and flowering while lowering palm oil output. Indonesian palm oil exports are forecast at 28.5 million metric tons in 2023-24, which would be up by only 100,000 metric tons from the current marketing year, with India, China and Pakistan the major customers. And a salmon farming company in British Columbia is going to court to challenge the federal government's decision not to renew the licenses for its open-net farms off Vancouver Island. Maui Canada West has applied for a judicial review of the decision last month by Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray to shut down 15 salmon farms. The company wants a federal court to declare the minister's February decision invalid and unlawful. The federal government has not responded to the application, but Murray has said there is uncertainty over the risks fish farms pose to wild salmon and it was committed to transitioning away from the open net farms. And that's today's Ag Review. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and minus 9 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were moving upward in the province during the past week. Jace Fawson with the Saskatchewan Livestock Branch says prices are up due to good demand and lower supplies. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices continued to be strong with all weight categories seeing an increase compared to the previous week. 
Saskatchewan feeder steer prices were higher compared to the previous week amongst all weight categories reported on March 17th. Prices ranged from 354.83 per hundred weight for the 3 to 400 pound steers to 237.80 per hundred weight for the 900 plus pound steers. The largest price gain for feeder steers was seen in the 4 to 500 pound category up an average of $10 per hundred weight. The smallest price increase was seen in the 900 plus pound category increasing an average of $1.80 per hundred weight. The average weekly prices for Saskatchewan's feeder heifers were also higher across all weight categories for the week of March 17th. Prices ranged from 314.63 per hundred weight for the 3 to 4 weight heifers to 228.44 for the 800 plus pound heifers. The 3 to 400 pound heifers had the largest price increase of 13.75 per hundred weight compared to the previous week with the prices ranging between 310 and 320 per hundred weight. He outlines the factors pushing up feeder cattle prices. The feeder cattle market has been near historic highs and continued to rise over the past week, forcing buyers into the market as waiting for less expensive cattle isn't an option as supplies remain small. Fawson has the marketings for the week. Canfax reported Saskatchewan feeder cattle volumes at 12,255 head over the week, just below the 12,576 head market did the previous week. Market volumes were just below the 12,347 head marketed during the same week last year, and year-to-date feeder cattle marketings are 8% below 2022. And as for market-ready cattle prices? Prices of live non-fed cattle in Alberta reported on March 17th were up compared to March 10th. The Canfax price for Alberta fed steers reported on March 17th was 207.90. This was up $4 per hundredweight compared to last week's reporting of $203.90 per hundredweight. The Alberta cow prices were also up compared to the March 10th reporting. The price of D2 slaughter cows increased $5.78 per hundredweek to average $132.08. And the price of D3 slaughter cows were up $6.10 per hundredweight to average $113.30. Jace Fawson is with the Livestock Branch of the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. Live Cattle Futures for April closed at 162.30 today. That's down 12. June Live Cattle closed at 155.90, down 25. April Feeder Cattle closed at 194.37, down 32. May feeder cattle closed at 198.77, down 77. April lean hogs closed at 76.07, down 97. May lean hogs closed at 83.25, down 145. And that's the livestock market conditions. Drew Lerner from World Weather Inc. took a few producer questions from yesterday's webinar that was sponsored by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. The first question from a producer in northwestern Saskatchewan dealt with the extended foggy periods in January and whether that could translate into moisture three or six months down the road. If we focus on the six-month period, I think that there will be precipitation around in that area. Uh, if we focus on the three-month period, it's, it might be a little bit more debatable because that will put us in April 
and I think the April precipitation will be more at Manitoba and uh, east central and southeastern Saskatchewan. And that'll be the area that'll probably be wettest. But I can't sit here and tell you that it won't precipitate in that area. I, I think that there will be moisture around. And it's very interesting that uh, hoarfrost and fog uh, theory, because everywhere I've traveled this winter, that is what everybody's been talking about. Because that episode of foggy weather wasn't just a, a Canadian thing. It started down in Iowa and Nebraska and expanded all the way up into Saskatchewan and parts of uh, Manitoba, as well as reaching up into this area in the northwest. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of rainfall we get. Lerner was also asked about his forecast for summer storms, including hail. One of the things that is not evident right this moment is a well-defined ridge. If the PDO holds up and continues to be a strong influence on North America weather, we will see a better defined ridge of high pressure. The better defined ridge we have, the higher the potential is that we'll run into strong to severe thunderstorms that will produce hail. I think we need to anticipate that. Usually the stormy weather occurs near the peak of the ridge. So if the ridge is going to be just coming up to the U.S.-Canada border, then probably the biggest risk for hail away from the Rocky Mountains will end up being across uh, southern Saskatchewan, south of Highway 1. But if that ridge has more amplitude and extends up uh, beyond Regina, uh, then the severe weather potential would probably come across from Lake uh, Diefenbaker and up towards Humboldt and over towards maybe the Hudson Bay area, uh, depending on how strong the ridge is. So the potential for hail is going to be determined, at least away from the mountains, will be determined by that ridge amplitude. Now, if you're in Alberta, you always have a risk of hail a short distance away from the mountains, and uh, that shouldn't be any different this year than any other year. I think in general, though, because the atmosphere is supposed to be a little cooler biased across Canada during the summer, with the exception of northern Alberta, there might be just a little less severe weather unless that PDO ridge becomes very well defined. But for right now, I'd probably say it's going to be Average, so slightly below average, maybe. And at the moment, I think I would favor the southern one-third of Saskatchewan for the most hail. Lerner was also asked about the meaning of a negative PDO for both the prairies and the U.S. grain-growing region. I have been amazed for the last three Mondays in a row that this PDO has been becoming more negative. If you go back and look at these other years of similarity, the PDO always weakened as La Nina weakened. And so PDO strengthening in the first quarter after La Nina has abated is unheard of almost. Uh, you know, we don't have a, a big data set, so it's kind of silly for me to sit in here and tell you that it's never happened before. But in the years that we have data for going back to 1950, there was never a period that we saw the PDO become more negative as La Nina dissipated. And that is one of the primary reasons why I'm concerned about what's coming up. Not so much for Canada as much as I'm a little more concerned about the U.S. Corn Belt and a part of the Plains because there's a potential that if this trend continues, you know, we could end up uh, having a greater level of dryness down that way. And with a stronger ridge, because of that, we could end up with a more concentrated area of heavy rain across a, a narrow strip across the prairies. That is something that we're going to be watching every week. 
Drew Lerner is an agricultural meteorologist with World Weather Inc. His comments come from a webinar yesterday sponsored by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed down across the board again today. May canola closed at $720 per metric ton, down $9.40. July canola closed at $705.70, down $13.80. May Minneapolis wheat still trading at $833 per bushel. That's down 12 and three quarters of a cent. May Kansas City wheat closed at 811 and a quarter, down nine cents. May Chicago wheat closed at 663 and a half, down 19 and three quarters of a cent. May corn closed at 633 and a half, up three and a half cents. May soybeans closed at 1448 and a half, down 18 and a half cents. May oats closed at 362 and a half, up three and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. CN Rail has outlined their procedures when it comes to car ordering and data reporting. Assistant Vice President of Grain, David Shednovic, starts with car ordering processes. First, it's important to remember the demand for hopper cars in Western Canada is seasonal. While there are processors south of the border and in the domestic market that have steady demand year-round, most Canadian grain finds its way to the export market. The demand for grain movement is generally strongest in the fall and winter when domestic supplies are greatest. Demand generally drops off later in the year in response to stronger international competition. Greater availability of domestic supplies in major importing countries give a new crop availability and reduced farmer selling interest. There's plenty of demand year-round across the globe for crops that prairie farmers produce. Global trade of grains, pulses, and oil seeds exceeds half a billion tons annually. Western Canadian grain is unique in that it's the only commodity in North America where rail rates for movement to port are regulated through the maximum revenue entitlement. In an environment where price is not available as an effective mechanism to ration demand, demand is even greater than it might otherwise be. There's total demand, and then there's the reality of how much demand the end-to-end supply chain can handle at any point in time. He gets into the grain car ordering process for Western covered hoppers. Well, CN begins the week with an assessment of supply chain performance to determine what size of grain spotting program can be delivered. The plan is refined during the week as more information is collected, and the program for the upcoming week is finalized by Friday. In the case of a grain company owning multiple country elevators, that grain company's transportation group places the orders for CN supplied hoppers and provides a list of priorities should the demand for a given week exceed supply. Individual grain elevators do not place orders with CN. Producer car orders are placed directly with the Canadian Grain Commission and communicated to CN. Customers place orders for hopper cars by 1 o'clock central time each Tuesday for the following week. After the order cutoff time, orders are reviewed to make sure they're valid. If the terminal receiving those orders has not authorized them, for example, those orders are removed. Grain companies that own their own export terminals generally terminally authorize 100% of their orders, whether the terminal can handle them or not. A grain company may have a throughput agreement with another company owning an export facility, but unless the export facility can take those orders, CN is unable to consider those orders valid. Some people consider this unfulfilled demand, which it is, but the reason why that order cannot be fulfilled. In this case, no terminal capacity is important. 
If CN were to accept that demand, it ties up hopper cars that could be used by other customers to deliver to terminals with capacity, in turn reducing the overall efficiency of the system. In the past number of weeks, CN has been unable to accept all customers' orders, roughly a couple hundred per week, simply because terminal productivity-related issues and capacity have not been balanced with certain customers' demand. The collective objective of CN and its customers is to maximize the throughput of the whole system, but the supply chain only works if all the parts are working together. Shed Novik explains what else is going on during the car order review process. Car orders placed by customers against contractual commitments with CN are considered first. This is priority car supply with reciprocal penalties for CN and the customer. The balance of available car supply for that week is allocated evenly across the remaining orders for each customer. We call these general orders. Even though a customer may have priority car supply, CN must consider the situation with respect to the pipeline pointed at a customer's destination terminal. If the terminal is plugged and the outlook for the pipeline to the terminal doesn't look good because of persistent rain in the forecast, for example, CN may not be able to accept and plan all of the customer's orders. Why? Because the pipeline can't handle it. Customers place orders against their requirements on a weekly basis. There's no wait list. Any car orders that cannot be met can be reordered for the following week. He then focuses on CN Rail's weekly reporting on Western Canadian grain as it pertains to car order fulfillment. Well, beyond simply projecting and reporting on the total amount of grain and processed grain products being shipped from Western Canada over a specific period, CN also measures and reports on the quality of the service being provided. This report's been around since the 2016-17 crop year, capturing 100% of grain shipments moving in CN-supplied hoppers and private customer-supplied hoppers, along with detailing 100% of the orders received for CN equipment. CN reports total grain tonnage moved on a weekly basis by corridor for bulk grain and processed grain products, along with crop year-to-date shipments, followed by detail concerning customer orders for CN-supplied hopper cars in relation to supply chain capacity. CN also reports in detail on how CN executed against the grain spotting plan, including what percentage of CN-supplied hopper cars were supplied against the current week spot plan, along with the percentage of orders that were supplied either in the week requested or within 24 to 72 hours of the end of the one week. Shednovic outlines other details the reporting includes. Well, in contrast to certain industry reporting, CN gets into the detail as to the why of what's going on in the supply chain. Up front in CN's weekly reporting, there's a supply chain dashboard that illustrates how the supply chain is doing, and it ties back to all the conditions required to achieve maximum supply chain capacity. CN's guidance for maximum end-to-end grain supply chain capacity during winter, for example, between bulk grain and processed grain products, is up to 6,250 cars per week, remembering that to achieve those levels requires no mainline disruptions, fluidity across shipment corridors, seven-day terminal unloading, and other considerations. If you don't have all the ingredients in place to bake the cake, so to speak, maximum end-to-end grain supply chain capacity can't be achieved. Right below the dashboard is detail about why the individual components of the dashboard are color-coded the way they are for that week. If you don't have that information to go along with the percentage of orders fulfilled, you don't have the whole picture. The end-to-end supply chain is a lot more complicated than pass or fail with nothing in between. All the links in the chain need to be working together to deliver results. He explains what CN Rail's car order fulfillment results look like so far for this crop year. CN has been consistently supplying 90 to 100% of planned and confirmed car orders either within the want week requested or within one to three days after the end of the want week. That's translating into strong and steady grain movement. David Shednovic is the Assistant Vice President of Grain at CN Rail.
Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. If you're interested in seeding cultivated land back to native prairie, you might want to get in on the grassland restoration with the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation. Their reverse auction allows landowners to put a realistic price on what it will cost them to convert land back to native prairie and the chance to receive financial compensation for grassland restoration projects. Bidding is now open until the end of the month, March 31st. You can learn more about the reverse auction process and how to place a bid by just going to their website, www.ssgf.ca. Or you can give them a call, 306-530-1385. And are you a private landowner who owns 500 acres or more of grazing land? The uh, there, some people would like to hear from you. They're wanting people to take a survey that will explore understanding, perceptions, and interest in carbon opportunities and ecological goods and services across the Canadian prairies. Responses will be anonymous and grouped to your larger region for protection of privacy, and you will receive $50 as a thank you for your participation. If you would like more information, go to www.fuseconsulting.ca slash take the survey. And that's, of course, coming up here from the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association as well. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Decreasing clouds, winds west-northwest at 10 to 15, and a high of minus 7. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 16. For tomorrow, sunny. Winds south-southwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 2, a low of minus 16. For Friday, partly sunny. Winds north-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 1. For Saturday, partly sunny, a high of minus 7. And Sunday, a 30% chance of isolated flurries, a high of minus 4. In the Paw and Swan River, as well as Roblin, they're all reporting in at minus 6 degrees. Dauphin is at minus 5. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, minus 7. Regina, minus 10. Saskatoon, minus 12. Hudson Bay, minus 4. Broadview, Mooseman, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 8. Indian Head, minus 9. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 5 kilometers an hour. 91% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 9 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 12 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.